0: I think about this all the time. If I have to spend the rest of my life in prison for a crime I didn't commit, I need the world to know what happened and how it happened.
1: Snow Files, Season 2, Episode 25, Body of No Evidence. The mission of the Snow Files podcast is to expose the misconduct of the state's attorney's office under Charles Bernard. It is not our intention in any way to disparage the current state's attorney's office or the Bloomington Police Department. Welcome back to Season 2 of Snow Files. Before we get started, we wanted to update you on some new features and changes to the podcast.
0: We have a brand new website at snowfalls.net with a ton of features. It's going to make it easier to interact and to find what you're looking for. We have easily accessible links to podcast apps, such as Apple, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. But you can also listen directly from the page. The latest website will be posted on the main page of the website, Or you can click on any episode link and listen to that episode on YouTube directly from the site, from your favorite podcast app, or click on the transcript link and read it from there. You can also join our mailing list for updates, send us messages, or even leave a voicemail that may be featured on the Snowfalls podcast.
2: There are also several new ways to support the show. We've changed from Podbean patron program to Patreon and are offering a flat rate of $5 a month. You can give more if you like but every Patreon member will receive a free wristband and a shout-out from Jamie on the podcast. You can also donate through PayPal, buy us a cup of coffee, or visit our merch link to purchase Snow Files or free Jamie Snow merch, such as hoodies, t-shirts, tank tops, coffee cups, and so much more.
1: There's also a few changes in our scheduling. We will now be releasing the Q&A separately, so you'll get the episode on one week, and the Q&A will be released the following week. We encourage you to post any questions you might have about the episode by Friday of each episode release. So without further ado, let's get started.
0: on the forensics in my case. Personally, I'm going to enjoy doing this season much more than the first. Season one for me is a bit depressing, having to relive so many false accusations and so much ineffectiveness on the part of my attorneys and as well as the dishonesty from the prosecutors. Uh, that, that whole season was kind of hard for me. Season two is going to be so much better for me because it's all about hope. The forensic testing has the potential to set me free, so it's a season of hope. Since my forensic motion is is heating up in court, you all can, you know, follow along not only with the the podcast but with court as well. I'm gonna have to beg your forgiveness now for the science lesson that we have in store for you as we go over these different types of testing, such as touch of DNA. We believe there was a struggle between Bill Little and his killer and we will show you why. Then we'll share with you how such DNA could lead us to the killer. There were fingerprints recovered at the scene. It's already been established that they, they weren't mine or my co-defendants, but maybe we can find out whose they were. Uh, there's been so many scientific advances in the last 30 years. It's possible to get a DNA profile from a fingerprint lift, but that's not all that can be done. There's, there's much more. There was blood recovered, and mark my word, this is going to be an episode where you're going to think, you know, what the heck is going on, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll leave it there for now, but it's, it's, it's a crazy, crazy situation. There is one piece, of, one piece of evidence that no one can argue wasn't left at the crime scene by the person who took Bill's life. That's the bullets recovered from Bill's body. The bullets recovered were unique, and we'll tell you about that later on. But we want to run those bullets through the Integrated ballistics Identification System. And basically what that is, is bullets, shell casings, and guns all leave their own unique signature, like a, like a fingerprint. And we can submit those bullets into that system and uh, possibly track down if the gun had been used in any other crimes. Maybe someone was caught with it, but we'll tell you a little bit more about that later on. And I hope to introduce to you a friend of mine named Patrick personally. He helped change the DNA statute in Illinois to include ballistics testing. While he was a prisoner here with, with me at the Stateville Correctional Center, he has since won his freedom because of that. You know, everything we are asking to do is exactly what the state would be doing on their own if they didn't already have me convicted in, and in prison. I've said it before and I will say it until the end of time. This is a win-win proposition for the state. If they allow us to do the testing and it produces nothing, they have the ability to say, see, we, we, we told you it was it was a waste of time. If they did the testing and somehow it implicated me, which it wouldn't, but just for the sake of argument, it did, then they'd be able to say, you know, see, you know, we knew he did it, you know, and, and if and if it leads to the person who actually killed Bill Little, which is what we hope it'll do, then they get to say, you know, the, the system worked. So the, the fact that they're fighting so hard to, to get it done, I've just never understood that. You know, you're, you're gonna see as well that just like in season one, the state was and still is withholding and suppressing evidence, even when it comes to the forensics. And I've always wondered, you know, how much suppression violates one's right to due process. So anyway, we're looking forward to doing this season and, and taking you guys along on the journey with us for season two of the Snow File, the forensic edition.
2: If you enjoy Snowfiles, please give us a quick rating and review on Apple Podcasts. This will help Jamie's story get out to the masses. Visit snowfiles.net and click on Rate Show. And while you're there, leave us a voicemail that may be used on the show and check out our cool Snowfiles merch.
1: Blood fingerprints, clothes, shoes, bullets, these are the items that have not been tested, the state's evidence. Physical evidence that was meticulously gathered by crime scene technicians on March 31, 1991, in their efforts to find the elusive armed robber and murderer of Bill Little. When a crime scene technician arrives on a scene, he uses science to track the path of the killer mapping out a trajectory from the onset of the crime based on the victim's final location, painstakingly gathering physical evidence through the projected path in the hopes the killer left a trace that will link him to the crime. In 1991, no fingerprints, shoe prints, or blood type from the crime scene matched Jamie Snow. Those were the only items they could test with archaic 1991 technologies. In Season 1, we talked about the historical evidence of the case, which was only witness statements and testimony, and we debated the truthfulness of each. Listen to Season 1, Episodes 1 through 3, for a recap. In Season 2, we will take a deep dive into the forensics evidence gathered in 1991, discuss the new forensic testing technologies available today, and make the case for testing of the physical evidence in Jamie's case with these new technologies. Let's start with what the first responding police saw when they entered the crime scene from a forensic perspective. Officer Jeff Pilo was the first to enter the scene. The following is an excerpt from his March 31, 1991 police report, the night of the crime.
3: I looked through the windows and saw no one. As I entered the station, I checked the bathroom as I walked between the counter and the opening to the storeroom, north side of the station. Once it was determined that no one was inside, I turned and looked down at the victim. He was a white male, lying on his chest. Legs were slightly bent. Left arm was under his body. Right arm was bent at elbow, towards his chest. Head was turned facing the west wall. I walked out of the station and requested rescue and possibly the coroner. I attempted to find a pulse after I went back in. None was detectable. I then left to move my squad to start securing the area.
1: The following is an excerpt from Pilo's 1999 interview. In reference to the state of the victim, Pilo testified much the same at Susan's trial, with less details, and even lesser details at Jamie's
3: trial.
2: You saw a male lying on the floor. What did you notice about that individual?
3: He was lying behind the counter. His position, obviously there was something wrong with him. I I assumed that that he was in need of medical help. I checked for his pulse. I couldn't find one.
2: And aside from checking for his pulse, did you do anything in terms of moving the body at all? No ma'am or anything? Did you notice anything else while you were inside the building as far as anything apparently missing or anything?
3: The cash drawer was opened and the black insert that's usually in it that contains the case was gone.
4: Hey, y'all. My name is Maggie Freeling. I'm a journalist and producer, and I'm the host of Unjust and Unsolved. And I want to tell you about my new podcast, Murder in Alliance, a real-time investigation into a case that is so bonkers, it's hard to wrap your head around.
0: Everyone in this town seems to have some kind of secret or interest in this victim, whether it be drugs, sex, or both.
4: I'll be teaming up with Jason Baldwin from the West Memphis Three and his organization Proclaim Justice to reinvestigate this murder from the ground in Ohio. If he slit
0: her throat right here, there would be more blood on that that sofa.
4: We track down witnesses.
3: You guys have got to understand what's at risk for me here.
4: And even uncover... Massive police corruption.
3: There were two officers that felt
5: like their brotherhood, their staff, that could have been involved. This is
4: the case of David Thorne and the murder of Yvonne Lane. Find and follow Murder and Alliance wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Officer Paul Williams was the second officer on the scene. He stated he arrived between 15 to 20 seconds after Officer Pilo.
6: So at that time, you're out of the car and not in the lot, Right. Did you go on to sleep? Yes. And what
5: did you observe? I observed a Caucasian uh, male, a younger man, uh, laying on the ground. Uh, He was curled up uh, in kind of a prenatal position, uh, laying on the ground.
6: Now, we're in relationship to the inside of that uh, gas station. County, where was the relationship?
5: In? Well, when you walked in the front door of the Clark Station, uh, as you walked in the door, the attendant and the, where you paid was to your left, which would have been west. The other side was snacks, and I think they had their bathroom and stuff over on the other side. So when I walked in, he was um, the counter was uh, to the left. I walked over to the counter and looked behind the counter, and he was laying on the ground behind the counter. It was just a little small area where they stood or sat for work. What did you do then? Well at that point, um, you know, we kind of decided, you know, what to go for, what to do. And Jeff reached out and checked for pulse and said there was no pulse. I was looking at the guy and uh, could tell that um, he had a lot of problems because he had his there was no respiratory movements, he wasn't moving at all. Um, he had a contact lens that had popped up off of his eye but was still stuck in his eye socket. So you could tell that he probably hadn't blinked, uh, or that wouldn't have been there. Uh, so I knew things weren't looking good at all for, for that gentleman. I told Jeff to get out of the station and not let anybody else in, and uh, call for some other units to come over there. And at that point, Jeff got out of the station and didn't come back in. I don't know. If he did, it would have just been for to tell me something, and he stepped back out. Did you touch the body? I did, yes. After Jeff left, I thought about it, and I uh, it did touch the body. Uh, well, it occurred to me that just because he looked dead didn't necessarily mean that he was and I thought, well, I better make sure. Um, and I thought, well, maybe I should go ahead and start CPR. Um, and I rolled him over because before I started applying any kind of uh, chest stimulus, I wanted to make sure that he didn't have a knife or some other object stuck in his chest and then I would just made it worse instead of better. Um, and so I took my pocket knife out and I just opened up his shirt, I cut his shirt open and uh, rolled it back off of his chest and then I saw that he had um, two bullet wounds and um, at that point I decided that I wasn't going to apply CPR because that might not have helped either depending on where that bullet was at. And at that point I didn't think he was going to be helped anyway. Now, when you cut open his
6: shirt do you have to do anything with the body to be able to
5: cut open his shirt? He was laying on his side, all curled up, and uh, you know what side? I believe he was laying on his left side. Um, I wrote that in my report, and I tried to be kind of detailed on it because I knew that I was changing him from his original position, and um, I believe he was on his left side. And he was curled up, and I just rolled him over onto his back, basically, and then when I cut him open, or cut his shirt open rather, and I realized what had happened—that he'd been shot. Um I didn't do anything else
6: Now we also showed you picture D and it this picture illustrates the position that William little was in that in your test one that's totally different than what you just stated right can you explain that please?
5: well he's been stretched out here and, um, after I touched him, I did let the uh, lifeline rescue people in, um, and I told them that, you know, to go in and check just to make sure that the, uh, the gentleman, who I didn't know at that time, um, was beyond help. And They did go in, and they stretched him out. Um, I didn't, and now he is, so they had to have done it because nobody else was in there. and um, that, that would be my explanation as to how he's in a slightly different position. There, that was a pretty restricted area back there. Not much room to move around. And a big man carrying a box of medical stuff wouldn't have had any room probably to work.
6: So, if I was the possibly by lifeline, sure, or was a rescue?
5: No, it was lifeline. Rescue showed up, but I denied him access to the building.
6: Now, after you made the determination that William Miller was possibly. Right. You wait for
5: a Lifeline to get there. Why is that? Um. Why did I wait for Lifeline? Well,
6: I guess a better question is why did you not Lifeline
5: it? Well, because simply for the fact that um, what if I was wrong? So I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't wrong, and um, that's why I didn't let them, the fire department in because we don't need three or four people to tell that this guy's not with us anymore. So the uh, Lifeline showed up. My let. Uh, those people in, yeah, and that was it.
6: So you, it was a, a very very controlled crime scene because in my
5: understanding, there was a lifeline. Uh, right the only, exactly the only, Well, it wasn't even detective or two. The only other person that went in there uh, when I had control of that was um, the first person after lifeline left. The next person I let in was the crime scene from both Police. The chief didn't go in, the sergeant didn't go in, or the patrolman went in, nobody else went in. Good.
6: When you were in there, and a lot of things going on watching, once, trying to coordinate a lot of things, what did you think happened?
5: Well, initially I didn't know, um, and it, it didn't occur to me. I mean, the guy could have been hit on the head or something, because there wasn't much blood, and there wasn't anything that really struck me. But it, After I cut his shirt open, it looked like that you know he'd been victim of robbery that um, he didn't have shot during it. Now, why do you think the crime was robbery?
6: Well,
5: the cash register drawer was open, and um, you know that that was open, and the attendance on the ground. So I don't know why else anybody would have you know gotten that predicament. Sure. They said the cash register
6: drawer was open. Was it fully extended? Do you recall?
5: It was you know you could have a cash register door open just half an inch sometimes you'll see them do that if they're in a hurry and they don't want to open or shut it this was open uh, a long ways I mean I don't know if it was open a hundred percent but it was open more than halfway I mean the little flipper money things uh, that it was far enough out that those would have been out too I don't know how you, how else you could really say that do you see
6: anything in the cash register door?
5: My recollection is, and it's been so long though but I, I think the drawer was empty, it seems to me. Empty meaning
6: that there was no money in it, or empty that the where in a place where money should have been was gone. You know,
5: I could I could just tell you what my intuition says and I, I could be wrong, so I don't know if you want me to say it or not. What's your story? I don't there was I don't recall there even being the little insert door in it. I think the whole darn thing was empty, um, and and I wasn't you know responsible for checking all that out, so I didn't want to touch it because I thought you know if somebody took that thing out there might be a fingerprint on it, so I didn't even touch the darn thing, and I was only behind the stage, only behind the counter long enough to cut that kid's shirt off of him. And my recollection is that box was totally empty. Uh, the the there's an insert where those little flipper things are that my recollection is there's nothing in there, that. and that's why. I thought that it was certainly robbery.
6: Yeah, after after you secured the crime scene and it's been William uh, Will, uh everybody said EBI you know, medical help, mm-hmm. so all the medical personnel around. You accidentally lied. nobody back down with the crime scene back Right. What did
5: you do in the end? Well we taped off the parking lot with uh, crime scene tape. And I stayed in the inner perimeter of it, um, and I kept uh, I I kept a log, but there was no need to keep a log because nobody else came in. <laughs> when we taped it off, uh, I stayed there, and Jeff Pilo, uh was allowed to come in and out of it. But everybody else stayed outside the yellow tape. And there was a whole bunch of people started showing up. We had a pretty good crowd of people. I think that probably lived in the area. We had people driving by that stopped, and uh, we had a pretty good crowd. But everybody was pretty well behaved. And, uh, like I say, uh, even the uh, police brass didn't cross the tape. And I just basically stood around and made sure I had my hat on. That was about it.
6: Just a couple of questions left. Uh, sorry. What,
5: do you remember what day this was? At, uh, Mr. Yeah, it was
6: Easter Sunday. It
5: was around 8.15 to 8.20 at night. It was uh, early evening.
6: In, in, in the year 1991, Easter Sunday was March 31st. Exactly mm-hmm. when you were it. Right. Start? Yep, it
5: was a nice day, it seems to think that you have anything
6: you'd like to ask? Nothing. Thank you. Okay, thank you. This yeah. interview is concluded at 4.43 p.m. on February 27, 1999.
2: Join us on our journey to free Jamie Snow by becoming a member of the Snowfiles Patreon team for a flat rate of 5 bucks a month or set your own monthly rate. All supporters will receive a Snowfiles wristband and a shout-out by Jamie on the Snowfiles podcast. Just visit snowfiles.net and click on the Join Our Patreon button.
1: Williams made it clear that the only people allowed in the Clark Station while he was in control of the scene were Jeff Pilo and Rick Wolf, and Randy Stroud from Lifeline. Everyone else was denied access to the building. Williams changed victim from original position, rolled him over on his back, cut his shirt to see if there were wounds, and discovered Bill had been shot. Lifeline came in, stretched victim out. They would have had to have done it because no one else was there. Williams only allowed them in to determine victim was deceased. Cash register drawer was open and empty. Williams also said he was present when the body was removed from the station, and that he rode with the body to the morgue. Bill's uncle identified the body as Bill Little, and a few minutes later, Bill's father arrived to view the body. The body was not touched by anyone, including the coroner, Williams, Bill's father, or Bill's uncle. At 11.09 p.m., Williams sealed the morgue with evidence tape and initialed signed and dated the tape. Coroner Anderson advised Williams that the padlock he had locked the morgue door with had only one key, and he would have sole custody of the key. We invite any witness featured on the Snow Files podcast to come on the show to give their point of view or to clarify anything that they think might have been misstated.
2: In this first episode of Season 2, we brought you back 30 years to the scene of the crime, to when the scene was secured, the victim's body was examined, evidence was collected, and Jamie Snow was excluded. However, even with no physical evidence, the state of Illinois still saw a conviction against Jamie Snow 10 years later. As Jamie continues to work his appeals, we remain adamant blood, shoe prints, and fingerprints be retested with modern-day technology, and we insist that all remaining evidence collected from the victim's body be tested for the first time ever. If you have any information that may help Jamie, please call the tip line at 888-710-SNOW. There is a $10,000 reward for any information leading to a new trial or the exoneration of Jamie Snow. The tip line is free and confidential. There is other common evidence still being held back by the state's attorney. That's also never been tested, and we believe it will reveal truths about who killed Bill Little. Why won't Illinois test this simple evidence? That's next time on Snow Files.